The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. We're reading from Mark 8, 34 through 38, and that can be found on page 1010 in your books in this Bibles. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. May God bless the reading of the word. Thank you, E.K. We're finishing a series called uh, Together uh, in Agreement uh, as a way that our elders have been walking us this month through the challenges of being one in Jesus Christ. And I'm kind of ending that and also want to forecast where we're headed for the next year in our teaching. So literally for about the next 60 weeks, um, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John. And there's one verse in John that I just want to set before us today as we get ready to go on that journey, because I believe John is giving the trailer to you on why we need to pay attention over these next several weeks. And now I know that the likelihood of us having perfect attendance for that many straight weeks is slim. Um, And so we're going to do the best we can to get as clear a podcast out and other ways of communicating through the app starting next week that is going to help us in our growth community life as well as in our uh, time just in the car, airplanes, and travel. Because this is why John wrote the letter. He says it himself, John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so there's two people that he's writing to in this particular letter. Those that don't believe, and then those that do believe. And then really what he's saying is those of you that don't believe, I also want to tell you the benefit of believing, okay? So there's a progression to this. And so there's probably going to be no better series that we're going to be doing for you to say to your neighbors and friends, you know what, stop talking to me about Jesus. Come to church with me. We'll have better conversations because we're going to be able to talk about it. Some of you are really frustrated. You just don't know how to talk to your friends about Christ in the context of where they are and what you know. And, all. and we're growing in our confidence in being able to do that. I believe we're going to have a great opportunity. But others of you, it's different. And let me explain it this way. How would you feel right now? Or what would your response be right now if Jesus was washing your feet? It's on a slide because I, I need because right now I feel like most of our posture is just to hear but not to really like sit in it. So I want us to get to where we're sitting in this. But like literally, this is a this is asking you literally. I don't want this is not hypothetical, but if in this very moment Christ was in this room with a towel and a bucket of water, and he was sitting in front of you, and he was washing your feet. Why are we going to go through the Gospel of John 
is because I want you to feel that. I don't want us to just know good facts that are in the scriptures. I don't want us to just know like good answers, like as if Alex Trevec was going to meet you at the bar and ask you great questions about the Bible and you could go on to win a million dollars. You know, I, it's not, I don't want us to know stuff. I want you to know that Jesus is right there. But he's not just right here. He's at the posture of serving you and me. And when John is writing his letter, he's talking about the creator of the universe loving us individually and corporately. And in his letter, he covers it all. And I can't wait for us to get into it. When my family moved here 11 and then a little, almost 12 years ago to do this church planting thing, I was really taken back by how few people in the city actually went to church. Knowing that the city was predominantly African-American, and because I was white and naive about a lot of things when I moved here, I, didn't, I, I just thought that a lot of African-American people just went to church every Sunday. I did not realize that, like many other people in generations, if mothers and fathers and society doesn't do a good job, that children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren say, well, why do I need to do that? What's the value in going to church and going to worship God when dads abuse moms and moms abuse dads and, and children neglect responsibility? I mean, what is the point when you go to church and nothing's any different than the people that don't go to church? And I began to find out a lot of things that the, the majority of the white people in the bars that I was talking to, um, before they had too many to drink, um, their perception of Jesus was much like the movie I've quoted before where Ricky Bobby says, sweet little baby Jesus. And that's what a lot of people want, is they want the Christmas story. They want the, the virgin birth. They want the baby Jesus, the one that, is, that you can hold like this. They don't want the Jesus that's sitting at the table or in that culture reclining at the table um, on his left arm eating with his right hand. Like There was so many intricate things that they were doing I found that this city didn't want the adult Jesus at the bar, even though they would have loved him at the bar. Because so much in the letter of John, you're going to find Jesus eating with people over and over again and coming away from festivals. And, and when wine ran out, he brought the better wine. Like, he made it. He didn't, like, bring it, like, in a backpack. He brought it. Like, he brought the house, like, turned water into wine. I mean, Jesus knew how to be around people that didn't believe in him. And so I found that there's so much of our city is, is struggling to know Christ. And we have got to be better as a church at being the light of Christ in the community around us. And as we end this series, we're wanting to figure out, well, how do we do this where we're one in heart, one in mind, and one in strength? Now, I've been in ministry long enough to know that I can become very cynical, um, like for instance, I can teach this sermon and say, hey, why don't you guys, if you want to know Jesus and you want to know him more, can you clear your schedule and come back here at 6 o'clock tonight and, and know that we would not have 100% attendance? I would know that there's very likely we'd probably have five or six of you and I could probably call you out and you pretty much show up at everything I do. Um, and the rest of us, it's like, ah, is it really worth it? And so... Something has got to start to change if we're really going to know Christ. 
And what I don't want to do, and our elders don't want to do, is us change the way that we are talking about Jesus just so that we have a full room. But if we talk about Jesus properly, we should have a full room. And so it's, it's, it's about what we say and what we're doing, because at the end of the day, you and I are supposed to look like Jesus. Not just me, the pastor. I'm not the professional Jesus, okay? But we, because of the great love of Jesus Christ, because of what has been talked about and is true, we can grow to look like Jesus. And I love what Peter does in 1 Peter 3, in verse 8. He says that we are to be one in heart, that we are to express this with one-mindedness. We're to be sympathetic to people like Christ. We are to be defined by the way we love one another like Christ. We are to be a compassionate people like Christ. And we, at the end of the day, should excel in humility like Christ. Those are very tangible and doable things. So why do we not do those things? Why are we not known for those things? Why do people compliment us for the style of music or the cool building we worship in? Why are people not complimenting us for our humility, our compassion, our one-mindedness, our sympathy to other people? So many things are about the things that we have and like, oh, that's great. They have more TVs than a bar. You know, it's like all this other kind of stuff that people will walk away and say, but at the end of the day, they should be complimenting us because there's so many people in agreement. They should be complimenting us because there's so many people being sympathetic. They should be complimenting us because of our excellent love for one another. Not just our way of faking hospitality. They should also be known for our great compassion. We should also be known for our humility. Because let me be very clear about one of the things you were going to find out when we go through the Gospel of John. Jesus makes change. He evokes change. He provoked change. He told you to change. And so if you want to have Jesus and not change, then you don't have Jesus. Because Jesus is going to go through your house, like Hosaria was talking about last week. And he's going to find the door that you've thrown all your stuff. And he's going to stand there and be like, hey, what's in here? Oh, you don't want to go in there. And he's going to be like, no, no, I want to go in there. You're like, no, you don't. He's like, yes, yes, I do. And then you're like having an argument with the one that spoke the world into existence about a closet in your life. And Jesus is like, no, I want to go in there. So let me just tell you this. Jesus is extremely difficult. So I would ask that if you're okay with knowing Jesus is difficult, that you'll come back next week. Because Jesus is not going to be kind to us in regards to the fact he's not going to tell you what you want. And this is what happens in our culture today. We surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want. We don't surround us with people that will tell you like it is. Or even truth for that matter. Because it's like, you know what, uh, you know, if that's true for you, then I'll support you in that. And we can't be that way. That's what Albert challenged us with just a few weeks ago. Jesus is countercultural. I promise you this. Jesus would not be the king of Netflix binging. Now, maybe Robbie Zacharias or something, if he was on there and evangelist, he might be like, yeah, that's pretty good, Robbie. Um, um, but there's so much about Christ that he would, he would be in the local bars. He would be sitting in Patterson Park with people around him. Jesus would be where people needed him. And from his birth, Jesus has always been in controversy. 
for goodness sakes, he was born to a teenage girl, virgin birth of all. How do you explain that to people? Yeah, um, uh, my dad's in heaven. So he died? No, no, um, no. He sent, he sent the spirit to impregnate my teenage mom. I mean, who, 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 who believed that in the first century? Not many. It talks about Jesus' family even kind of running him out like, hey, could you please be quiet? And almost to the point where Jesus almost fell off a cliff because of it. He had to escape from the crowd. Um, he had to flee. He was a political refugee. Wonder where he would find himself today. His messages impact all the religions of his time and our time and all the other religions that we're studying in all of our schools of thought. He impacted all of that. Um, his, he made politicians mad. He made pastors mad. They weren't called pastors back then, but if they were, they would have been mad. He was very disruptive. So, man, I hate to say it this way, and I might regret it, but who are you making mad? If the only people that are mad at you are blood relatives, there might be a problem. You know, like... like some of you, you're, just, you're here in Baltimore and you're rebelling from your parents and so you're intentionally doing, making decisions to harm them. That's, some people do that. I have to admit in the work of Christ in me, when I'm not functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit, I retaliate with people that way. That's like it's a sin nature. I've had to identify it. I have a counsel that helps me so that when somebody harms me, I don't want to harm them right back. But there's some of you that are feeding that and so there's certain people in your life you just constantly take stuff out on. That's not what Jesus was doing when he was making people mad. He was resolute in truth. Jesus taught that you're to love your enemies, not go to war with them. He also taught that, that you should forgive people that were beating you to death. Um, he also had a claim that he was God. So you can't like Jesus for his teachings and then just kind of pass on the fact that he claimed to be God and that he wasn't just God, he was the way and that he was truth. And so we can't just embrace him like, okay, I'll take the parts of Jesus that I like because they're just good for humanity and deny him the Godhead, the deity side of himself. We've got to deal with that. He also had things that he said that he did, prophecies and fulfillments and things that were in the Old Testament scriptures or the Jewish letters that, that became true. Jesus taught on controversial subjects Things like money, and now they're, the chil they're still children in there. He talked about the things that adults do. Um, and he had cleanliness instructions. He talked about marriage and power and privilege. He talked about all these different things to people. And he even chose friends that were out of the most despised people. And so what does John in his letter tell us? He tells us to be like Christ. So... Do we have sweet little baby Jesus in our worship arms this morning, or do we have the adult Jesus that's washing your feet? So do we follow Jesus on our own terms? Are you deciding the terms of your agreement with Jesus, or is Jesus the one setting the terms? That's something we got to wrestle with, and something that I've spent way too much time on my illustration. So let me come to this. This is, this is where we're... The scripture that we read today, does anybody know that it's strategically placed in our room? And did you even make the correlation today? It's actually an art piece on our wall, Mark 8. 
Mark, and so what three points do you think I'm going to cover today? Self-denial. Somebody else be brave and take a guess. Yeah, is there anybody else that's kind of feeling it now? Public identification. Some of you are like, wow, English is hard enough, but I can't even read that font. Um, So that says self-denial, eternal perspective, and public identification. So if you want to know what my points are, that's what the points of the teaching are going to be. But let me just put it in another form of illustration for you. Are any of you in here licensed pilots? Like you can fly a plane, a helicopter, or anybody like that? We don't have anybody like that? Oh, that's boring. Some of you go find a friend that that has a pilot's license and tell them about Jesus. They'll come to church so we can check that occupation off. But let me just put it this way. Do you guys know that if, from my internet, because remember, anything you ask Google is true, right? So my Google internet search has basically told me that in a, in a, in a, when, you, when, you, when a plane, a pilot and the crew gets on the plane, they have to file for a what? Flight plan. Thank you. All right, we got, we got, some, we got some people with some awareness now. That, and it's on the screen. <laughs> a flight plan. And so what they have to say is, is where their final destination is going to be and then how they're planning on getting there. The majority of planes that go up into the sky that file a flight plan only are on path that they plan to be on for about 10% of the time. So they file a flight plan, but yet they go up and then they realize, oh, wow, Air Force One is in the area. So we now have to divert to like 500 miles away so we're not shot down. Or they have to go to a different elevation. Or a hurricane starts brewing up in the Caribbean and everything gets rerouted. And so they're pulling planes from other areas around. And so a plane that says, my flight plan is to go from this red column to this red column is realizing that in order for me to get to that red column, I've got to circle this thunderstorm. I've got to go around this president. And then I've got to go around these obstacles. And then up oh, there it was. But hey, I'm not going. And have you ever been on a plane where you just felt like all you were doing was traveling the East Coast in order to get to your destination that should have been an hour and a half flight? But next thing you know, you're just going. It's not a direct flight, is it? And sometimes if you're at one destination and you go to the other, it's quicker to go this way because you have the jet stream behind you and the jet stream's not in front of you. And there's so many influences. So let me just say this. Our flight plan is to have our destination where? I'm going to challenge heaven, but where in particular? Yes, thank you. Our eyes are fixed on whom? Jesus Christ. And so a lot of us think about it. Well, we think about Jesus here. Is if this is where Jesus is? Is this, not where, is this where Jesus is? No, and if you're listening online, you could guess. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm at the cross, right? And so Jesus endured this, right? For the joy that was set before him. So Jesus' destination was joy, which was eternity with all of us in a right relationship with God. So he had to go through a storm to get to the destination that God had planned for him. In Mark 8 is the cost of the flight plan. I just want you guys to understand this. Everything that we just read, that E.K. read, and everything that is in those five short verses about our self-denial, our eternal perspective, our public identification, is the challenge of going from where we are to Jesus. 
Because this world is going to tell you, don't deny yourself, indulge yourself. Take everything you can get for yourself. And so you come to church, you set your eyes on Jesus, and you take a few steps, and you're just like, wow, I don't want to give up my money. And then it's like, wait a minute, how do I get back? What is there to protect a plane to keep the flight path in the right direction? He's got a headset on. There's a guy in a tower that's been assigned to that airplane. It's like, hey, you're off course. You need to adjust three degrees, change your elevation, whatever. And there's instructions given. There's co-pilots. There's other people in the cockpit that are back there looking at buttons saying, hey, this red button's going off. What does this mean? So it's vital that we get involved in a growth community. And we talk more about Jesus than about the ravens and the Orioles. Well, nobody talks about the Orioles anymore. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, sexual encounters or the, the best brew in Baltimore. We got to get away from talking about those things and say, where's our eyes fixed? Wait a minute. You say you're fixed on Jesus, but you realize that you're like four nautical miles off course? I just switched to boating. Some of you are like, you didn't catch that. That's right. You're just, you're, we're on the same intelligence level, all right? So what we find, though, is that in, in, it, once we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we're not careful, we will have dashboard display stuff going off, but if there's nobody to tell us what those buttons mean, we're in trouble. That's why there's so much about what's been taught these last few weeks to you. And if you miss some weeks, go back and listen to Albert and to Paula's and to Rogerio's and Lana Fausto's teaching because we have got to do this together. Or we've at least got to thin out the herd in this room so much that we know the people that are going to do it with us because we are not going to keep our eyes fixed on the eternal perspective. Our eyes will not stay on Jesus because the cost in this world is too high. It's too painful to follow after Jesus. It's too difficult to follow after Jesus and to do it alone. There's too many decisions that you need to make. And before long, you think life is good, but you're way off course because you feel like life is good because you've switched from self-denial to self-indulgence and you feel really good. When do you feel the best about your life? Usually is after a nice vacation because for a week, you were able to just make it about yourself right? Now, there are rhythms. Now, Jesus, we're going to see it in John. There's times that he snuck away from the crowd because he needed to get out in the wilderness and alone, and he loved boating. There's always on a lake. Yes, thank you, Jesus. I can tell people, look, hey, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to go talk to Jesus on the water. Go find a boat. Any of you on a boat? No, just kidding. Um, So what we need to understand is is that if we are going to continue to prove, uh, follow after Jesus, we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. Now, Lauren, you probably have already noticed that I'm totally off my notes, so I'm going to ask you to find Jefferson's Bible for me, if you can. She's probably like, where in the world is he in these notes he gave me? Um, this is where most of us are, but we're not as intentional as this. Um, this is actually on display in the museum in D.C., but you can go and see it. But Jefferson's Bible, where he actually went through with a razor blade and cut out verses of Scripture. Most of us aren't in the Bible enough to even know what verses to cut out. We just ignore the book. We cut the whole book out, not just portions of it. So we need to just, let me just say this. My desire in this next year as we go through the Gospel of John is where you get more and more comfortable including the book. 
Because if we're going to set a course to Jesus, we need the scriptures. We can try to do it alone, but this is the way I'm going to call it. It's like flying blind. We can have the Holy Spirit in our ear, and we can get there. Because there's people all around the world who don't have a copy of the Bible, and they make it quite fine. All right, so I can tell you, and you're like, okay, Ellis said I can make it without the Bible. I'm just going to say to you, why would you deny yourself an invaluable resource if you have access to it? Why would we do that? Why would we choose to get into an airplane and black out the front windows and say, all right, now let me try to get to Cancun. I'm sorry, I think of Cancun from some of you that just recently visited you, and I, lost, I, I, I was like jealous of your pool shots. Um, but the, uh, it's like, oh, I could be there. Um, but so what ends up happening is that we take and we decide to say, you know what, I'm just, I, there's too many questions around the Bible, so I'm just going to avoid the Bible altogether. And we do worse than Jefferson by we cut the whole thing out and not just verses of it out. So here's, here's, here's how I'm going to end this because we need to get ready for this wedding group that's coming. C.S. Lewis actually said this. He says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. <laughs> if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, certain, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So I'm sharing all this with you because if you and I take Mark 8 seriously and we get to fully understand what verse 34, 35, 36, 37, and 38 actually mean and how I've summarized it as self-denial, eternal perspective, and public identification, if we can take this year and we can understand that more fully, it is going to impact our lives. We will be different people, noticeably different people, to the people around us, and very likely, we would be very uncomfortable. I've been looking this summer, and I don't have time to get into it right now, at the story in Scripture where Jesus said, um, oh yeah, you want to build a tower? Who goes to build a tower but then doesn't consider the cost? Or at first hire an architect to design it and then figure it out and lays it out. Like, who just starts building without any consideration? How many of you follow Jesus without any consideration of what it really means to follow him? We've, we've turned Jesus into just a get-out-of-sinful-world card so that we can live however we want in order to go to heaven. When in actuality, Jesus is a life card where he tells us how to live and we still get the joys of spending eternity in heaven with him and we're going to experience that more and more fully as we go through the gospel of John. And so let me end. There's a quote by, at the very end of my notes, Lauren. It's James, um, James Smith. He wrote this. He says, Christians worship in one of the primary arenas in which we participate in the practices that shape who we are. And if our worship simply mimics the disciplinary practices and goals of a consumer culture, we will not be formed otherwise. Conceiving of the church as a disciplinary society aimed at forming human beings to reflect the image of Christ we will offer an alternative society to the hollow formations of late modern culture. There is a life-changing culture that we should have. There should be a different rhythm to our life. There should be a different way in which we go towards eternity if our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And so you're going to be hearing from me saying a few things that will become redundant um, over this next year. We need to no longer be 90-minute Christians. Can I just say that? We have got to get past 90 minutes. 
And, what I, and, so if, and if I have to explain that to you, then I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not doing you a good service. You need to understand that on your own. You need to figure that out. Because some of you need to go from 90 minutes this year to make your goal to be a 180-minute Christian, which means that you go from just attending church on Sundays to adding a growth community. But the majority of you are already in the 180-minute category. You're going to church, and you're, we have got to get to the point, and I did the math on this. If we're going to look at the early church, we've got to get to the point where we're 720-minute believers. We are not going to reach the full maturity of Christ until you and I adjust our lives a little bit at a time to where we are almost meeting together every day. 12 hours. We've got to figure out, I'm giving us like four hours on Sunday and two days off from each other. That's kind of the way I've kind of done the math. But when I'm thinking about this, they were meeting together daily to eat and to talk about Jesus, and it was sacred to them. If we're going to be countercultural, we've got to figure out a way to spend more time together. We've got to. It's, nece- it's necessary. And that means that some of you that have the freedoms to be other places have to choose to stay. That's just the fact. Some of you, you have pastors that you follow in multiple different cities, and you go from one church to the other, and you're fed. But what kingdom difference are we making? Like, who around us says, hey, you're acting like Jesus? And, and is it growing? Are people saying, tell me how to put my faith in Jesus to you? I would say that we're being filled up, but we're not pouring any of it out. And we've got to figure out a way of expressing what it looks like to follow after Christ. And so I need to land this today, and I'm going to, I'm going to end it on that. But here's what I think we need to find. We have to have this through a deep, a deep love devotedness to one another. We, we can't just say, I go to that church. It's got to be a devoted to those people type of a relationship. If we're fully going to grow in our faith. Now, if you don't want to be fully devoted to one another, you can still come and still enjoy what we're doing. But we are going to be continuing to push and find us to say, who wants to stay on course? Who wants to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus? And let's figure out how much time we can dedicate to do that. So let's pray together.